This podcast is from our Tabar Gathering 2019. For more information on Tabar, please go to our website, tabar-network.com. Oh, so lovely. Isn't that something special, isn't it? When God interrupts your plans. Uh, God can interrupt our plans anytime he wants. And I just think it's beautiful that we allow him to do that. You know, our theme is leading from the known to the unknown. You can't plan things like what just happened over the last hour. You don't plan that. It's not something that you put in your schedule. It's not something that you strategize. You just can't strategize God. He's too big for that. You can't put him in a box. I want you um, to, to put your little marker in your Bible in 1 Samuel 24. I'm not going to read all the chapters just for sake of time, but it's, um, <clears throat> it's the story of David been hounded by King Saul through the caves of Engedi. And what happens is he's in the back of a cave and uh, David's hiding in a cave and Saul and his men come in and the Bible tells us that he, he comes in to, to go to the toilet, really. He comes in to relieve himself into the cave. Tells you this in 1 Samuel 24. And um, <clears throat> David's men then say, this is the opportunity. This is the moment for David to seize the throne. This is the moment for David to move from the known to the unknown. This is his time. And um, David is a little bit more sensitive than that and uh, understands that it's not God's time and uh, rebukes his men, verse 7, holds them back. And then uh, the the story goes on that he actually then comes out of the cave. He cuts a piece off Saul's robe. And then um, when Saul goes down the mountain, Uh, David comes out of the cave and calls to him, and Saul sort of repents, but it's a bit of a false repentance in the story. You can read it in 1 Samuel 24. I want to talk to you about that story this morning. It's a very powerful story that is uh, important for us. In 2004, there was a movie came out. I am a bit of a movie buff, and there was a movie came out in 2004. It was simply called Ray. And it was the story of the legendary soul musician, Ray Charles, and uh, portrayed by uh, Jimmy Fox, the actor. And uh, it was an Oscar-winning bio of, of Ray Charles. And Ray, it's a story, he watched his brother drown at seven. He went blind at nine. It's a pretty horrendous story. Uh, his hard-working mother urges him not to feel sorry for himself and He rises through the ranks of the Seattle jazz scene and uh, struggling with drug addiction and infidelity when he's on the road, yet supported by his ever-faithful wife, Ray Charles, redefined soul music, um, which inspired a generation over 30 years. And uh, Jimmy Fox, uh, in 2005, the movie was nominated for uh, an Oscar, and Jimmy Fox um, fell off the rails, really. He became a party animal. The money, the fame, the attention went to his head. And by his own admission, uh, he just partied way, way too much. So much so that people began to get concerned for him. His friends began to really get concerned. And um, Oprah Winfrey um, realizes that Jimmy Fox is in self-destruction mode. And so she, and she starts to really reach out to him. And she invites him around to her house. And when... Um, Jamie got round her house. He says this. This is his own recollection. He said that Oprah Winfrey's house was filled with legends. And he said he could feel the power in the room. 
And then she set him up a little bit because over in the corner were these two guys here, still alive today, Quincy Jones and Sidney Pottier. Um, Sidney's 92, Quincy Jones is 86, they're still alive. And uh, legends in their sort of fame and in their own field, they, they were men who had paved the way. They were fathers of their profession. And Jimmy says, this is his own words, he says, this was the moment that would captivate him, remold him, and change his life forever. Um, and Sidney Potter sort of makes his way over with Quincy Jones, and he puts his hand on young Jimmy Fox's shoulder, and he says this, we've been watching you from a distance. I've been practicing that all week. Sidney <laughs> mm. mm. Potter accent. We've been watching you from a distance. Yeah. We've been watching. All right. Okay. And then, and then he says this. We've been watching you from a distance, distance, and I give you responsibility. I give you responsibility. Now, what he's saying is, what he's actually saying, he's, he's, he's saying that we, we want you to turn up to the Oscars okay, Jamie, but we just don't want you to turn up empty-handed. He's saying, we want, to, we want you to show up carrying responsibility. You need to be prepared. You don't need to come into that moment unprepared. Moments that just happened there, we can come into those moments, but we need to be prepared. We, our hearts need to be ready. We know this, that the, the, the bread in the, in the holy place was there fresh each, each time that the, the priest would come in. The oven wasn't there. There was no oven in the tabernacle. The, be, the bread was baked at home. So the bread had to be baked at home. So, so what, what the priest carried into the environment of worship was really, really important. And so what they're saying to Jamie is saying, we give you responsibility. We, we, we want you to turn up a little bit better prepared. If you have kids or uh, our kids are grown up, you will know that when they turn five or six, you, you begin to realize that you're not just carrying a little bag of flesh about anymore. <laughs> You know, that you, you know that little bag of flesh that you're trying desperately hard to stop from hurting and killing themselves? Don't do that. Don't walk there. Don't touch that. You, you know, there comes a moment when you, you don't react like that anymore. Actually, you don't even realize you do, but you begin to start, you start to give them responsibility. You start to say, now it's time to wash your own face. It's time to, it's time to pick up your own clothes. It's time to, it's time, to, don't hit your sister. Hmm. You know, all of these things that you actually, because you, what you're doing is you're, you're teaching them that the world doesn't actually just revolve around them, and they've got to now start thinking out. They've got to think of other people. And so this is what happened when Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus. He was giving him responsibility. This is what happened when God set Adam in the garden and told him to subdue it. He was giving him responsibility. This is what happened when he, when he sent Abram on his journey. He was giving him responsibility. This is what happened when Jesus met the disciples on the, on the shores of Galilee and said, follow me. He was giving them responsibility is something really important. I have two sons. I have one grown up and married, lives in London, and then I have another little one, and he, um, we, we, we call ourselves the ammo man. We have this little thing going. We say, ammo man, and we say, ammo man, go to church. Ammo man, don't be bullies. Ammo man, they, they, they treat ladies with respect. Ammo man, 
Amen, men are kind to others. We, we do this. What are we doing? What am I saying to them? I'm saying, I give you responsibility. I give you responsibility. Today in the church, there seems to be a lot of people who don't actually receive responsibility. And then I meet older leaders who are not good at giving responsibility. And there's this tension between generational um, issues that I think creates all kinds of, of problems in the church. This time last week, I took this photo. Last Saturday, I was in, in Gadai. And I climbed up the, the mountains of Engadi where David would have hidden through these caves somewhere, where Saul would have went in. The story that we read today, I took these pictures myself. Pretty incredible place. I was daunted. I'd went to Israel for 11 days. I said, God, I, uh, as I go, I want you to give me something for the people of the conference. I want you to, I want you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me so I can speak to them. And, and, and I stood at these places, the the. the the, the waterfalls, the springs of Engedi, where David would have refreshed his men, and man, they needed refreshing. 40 degrees up on those hills. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. And so, and so there's something where this King Saul, who he never moved into the unknown. He just didn't do it because he, he was full of jealousy. He was full of rage. He was full of madness, which destroyed and hindered his kingdom to the very point that God had actually snatched it out of his hand before he wrecked it completely. He never learned how to give responsibility. The problem is when you don't give it, you lose it. Especially when you begin to realize that God is giving some other people responsibility around you. It's not you actually giving it to them at all. You begin to realize that God is actually given some responsibility. And if you, if you allow jealousy to capture your heart, man, you're, you're into big, big trouble. And so what's happening here, this King David is this sort of king that when you read about him, it's incredible because it, he's like the measuring rod to all kings. When you read of every other king, it talks about this was a good king, but he wasn't as good as David. This was a bad king. He wasn't like David at all. So David became the, the measuring rod. He became the man um, after God's own, own, own heart. And, so, and we know that David wasn't chosen just because he could dance and sing and write songs, all of which he could do, mind you. He wasn't called for that reason. He was called because he could fight. That's what he was called for. And, and so writing songs and preaching good sermons and being a, a nice pastor and all of those things are lovely, but if you're going to build the kingdom of God, you need to learn the number one lesson. You've got to learn how to fight. There's something about fighting. You've got to take responsibility. God is calling his people up. He's calling his people up, and we need to receive the responsibility that God has given us. And so David realized this truth. He realized this truth when he was a boy out in the field killing a lion, killing a burr. He realized this in 1 Samuel 17 when he threw the little stone into the sling and took down the giant Goliath. He knew this. He knew there was something about God in his life. The proof of anointing is always when you can do much with little. That's the proof of anointing. The proof of anointing is that you can do much with little. David killed Goliath with a rag and a rock. He didn't have a machine gun or a bow and arrow. It was just a simple piece of cloth and a stone. 
and he took down this giant. And the thing about this, every time we, every time we, we read about David, then we read about this anointing, brings him higher and higher. We see him through the scriptures, and every time we read about him, he's going somewhere. Something's happening as the anointing of God rises in his life. And Goliath slips off the pages of, of scripture when his when his life ended, because when his life ended, his purpose ended, and his purpose was to make David great. And some of you in this room, you, we might never know who you are until you slay your giant. We would have never known who David was until 1 Samuel 17, when that boy took down Goliath. And so there's something about this. And so what I want to do, I want to take you for a few minutes to my favorite verse in all of the Bible, all right, has been for over 40 years, and I have loads of favorites. People in this church know this, but this is my, this is my all-time favorite, Ephesians 3.20. I want to talk to you a little bit about this story, just four simple things really quickly uh, about this verse. Now, unto him who is able, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Because it's according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church, verse 21 says, by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Now there's a few things in this verse that Saul neglected that, that David didn't that made all the difference, all right? And there's a vital difference between increase and decrease, between living in the land of the known and moving into the vast unknown terrain of God. And here's the very first thing. The first thing is it's all about him. It's all about him. This book is a hymn book. It's all about him. It's all about him. And so, and so there's something about getting to know. And David knew this. David knew it is God who gives. It is God who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David knew that he is the vine, according to John 15, and we are the branches, and we are called to live a branch life. You can go home and say, I called you Twiggy. All right? Um, a branch life, that's what we're called to be. And you, we know this, that the idea of the branch, the branch never produces fruit. The branch bears fruit. The, the, and so there's far too many people running about trying to produce fruit. You can't do it. The, 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 the produce comes from the vine. He is the vine. We are the branch, and the branch is just there to bear its fruit in season. And when that season goes, it waits for the next season. And so there's something about living the branch life. And, and, and David learned this fast. Saul's ego overtook his anointing, and that's always a disaster. As his ego grew, his anointing disappeared. Notice that how David coped with temptation to move into his role. What a tender conscience this man had. Listen, when, when you decide to walk with God, can I tell you something? When you decide to walk with God, every detail becomes important. Every detail becomes important. You need to watch out for every detail because you become sensitive you become sensitive to the Spirit and things around you like this morning. David knew he could never allow his ego to move him into the unknown. He knew he had to wait. It had to be God, and it had to be God alone and so on. Verse 7, he rebukes his men, and even though Saul was wicked and wrong, it wasn't their responsibility to make it right. And even though Hebrews 10, 30 hadn't been written, David knew that vengeance belonged to God, not to him. And so, 
Here's a couple of little thoughts about that that's really important. A leader must always rise above his or her followers. That's the key of being with God. Not allowing yourself to be dictated to by people. Not allowing the, the, yourself to be steered by opinion, but listening to God. Rising above. So, so important. You must always refuse a salvation that comes naturally. Always refuse the salvation that comes. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and when you walk with God, here's the thing. When you walk with God, sin will be revealed that would otherwise go unnoticed. And I turned 60 last year. I know I only look 29. But um, I turned 60 last year. And you know, the older I've got, the, the, closer you, you, the closer you actually find yourself to God, the further away you realize you are. It's kind of that oxymoron thing. And you begin to realize things in your life that you never realized before because sensitivity is, is of utmost importance and you need to keep your conscience tender. God give you a conscience and he give it to you for a reason. And so if you, if you, if you, if you stop obeying it, you will miss God speaking as Hebrews um, um, 5.11 tells us. If you don't obey God, then your hearing becomes dull. And so David realized that it was on to him he realized that it was unto him who could do exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ask or think. He realized that his mind and human capabilities could possibly hold God back. But, but when he gave himself over to the realm of impossibility, like how do you kill a lion? How do you kill a bear with your bare hands? How do you take down a giant who's armor clad? How do you do that? There's got to be, the, I know David's skill was in it, but the anointing of God is all over it. And Abram's a great example of this because when you read about Abram, you read about four times in the story of Abram, you read four times that he lifted up his eyes. Every time he lifted up his eyes, he saw something of God. Like in, in, in I think it's Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2, he lifted up his eyes and he, and he saw the heavenly visitors come to him. In Genesis 22, he lifted up his eyes. He saw the ram caught by its horns in the thicket. On and on we could go. Only once you ever read of Lot lifting up his eyes. And it says that when Lot lifted up his eyes, he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And maybe there's just some reason in this room that we haven't been lifting our eyes high enough. We need to lift our eyes higher. We need to lift our eyes into the exceedingly abundantly, into the expectancies of God, into that exceedingly abundantly realm. David knew God like this, that Saul never did. Saul was a striving man. He was always manipulating. He was always contending for something. And here's the really sad thing. Some of the things he was contending for, he'd already had. He had power, he had prestige, he had position. And he just became jealous of somebody else's growth and anointing. What a sad, sad end. Quickly, here's the third little thing. It's according to the power that works in us. David realized that there was a power in him. He realized that there was something in him that, that wasn't boyish. There was something in him that wasn't mannish. There was something in him that was godish. There was something in him that... What, was far beyond him. Note the little phrase in this here, uh, the, the power at work in you. I love that little phrase. Not dormant, not resident, 
not just a figure of speech, not just a, not just a glory cloud. This is working, living, moving, opening doors into all known realms and all known realms greater than your mind can ever imagine. This is the working of the Spirit. Paul or Saul had grieved the Spirit. He had quenched the Spirit, according to Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You know you can quench the Spirit and you can grieve the Spirit. And, and this is what Saul had done. And so here's the little thought about that, just to take home. Always remember this, right? Always remember that since we live in a fallen world, expect to be mistreated sometime. That just goes to the territory, all right? Like, you can build a big wall and never go out. Nobody will ever get in, but that's not life. So you're going to get mistreated. So you need, to, you need to be ready for that. Here's the second thing. Since mistreatment is to be expected, you need to anticipate feelings of revenge. We're all just red-blooded people, all right? We're all made of the same stuff. And you need to understand that sometimes these things will flare up in your life. And so what you've got to do is, since feelings of revenge are predictable, you must refuse to fight in the flesh. And that's what David done. He refused to fight this war in the flesh. He decided, every time, I'm going to go with the Spirit every time. You see, when you mix injury with vulnerability and you, you fail to process them, you get revenge. Saul did injury to David and he could have sorted it all out at this vulnerable stage, but he refused to because he knew God. Fourth thing, really quickly, and we'll bring her to a close. Unto him be glory. On him be glory. I love this. Can I say this to you? Be careful how you handle blessing. It takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. Be careful how you handle blessing. I, when I got my, my car, it's the first car I've ever had with Bluetooth. And uh, what happened was I got in with my phone. I was looking forward to this. And I, I keyed in the followed the instructions, and I went into my settings on my phone, and um, it told me to purr. My phone wanted to purr with my car. Isn't that class? And when my phone purred with my car via Bluetooth, what happened was when they, when they came together, the power and the clarity of my lovely classical music came out of the speakers. That was bleak, that <laughs> response. Um, so something happened when they came together, something powerful happened. Now, when the signal gets lost, what happens is they on purr, and then the clarity is lost. Some of the generations in here have on purred. When, when generations purr, you see, there's this old mindset that the, at, at the, old, the old guy gets older and older and older, and then he drops off the hill. And the younger guy goes up, and then he gets older and older, and they drop off the hill. I don't, I don't believe that's biblical. I, I, I think we grow together, and there comes a moment where the old guy's going to go home to heaven. That's fine. But I, I want to grow through those seasons. I don't want to drop off a hill somewhere. I want to I I fight till God takes me home. I don't want to retire. I want to I work with the younger generations. I, I want to work with the kids. I want to work with the younger men and women and watch us grow old together in kingdom principles. And that's the power. And so if, here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we lose our signal, they unpair. And some of you have unpaired, some of you older people in here have unpaired with the younger generation. Some of the younger generation here has unpaired with the older generation. And some of you have unpaired with the Holy Spirit. 
and that's dangerous. And I'm going to challenge um, my heart and our hearts today that, that, that if we do that, if this signal drops and we, we don't respect generations, then the Holy Spirit can't honor and bless that. And so here's the thing. You, you never forget on your best day that you still need God as desperately as you did in your worst day. And maybe just in this room, there are some leaders who, who, who need to maybe think about this right now, that you maybe need to, to say to some younger person, today I give you responsibility. There might be some younger people in the room who need to repent of ego and trying to push mom and dad out of the house because they think they're better and the old guy or the old girl is kind of stupid now. And maybe there needs to be a little repentance about that. Because there's something about working together. There's something about these two realms coming together that, is, is, that, that kills the monster that our culture has created called the generation gap. And we need to figure out how to do this. And we need to figure out how to build this thing together because there is something so powerful about intergenerational groups working together for kingdom principles. Now, I told this story a few weeks ago here in church, so bear with me, those of you who heard it, but it's important for you. I love stories. Um, I'm a bit of a storyteller. You probably know that. But I, I, I grew up, I was born in 1958, so I grew up, I was a 60s child, grew up through the 60s and 70s, and I still love 70s music. I have no time for 80s, 90s, even modern music. I just don't really get it much. I love the old 70s music. There's something about it. And I remember when I was a boy, I remember we had BBC One sort of ITV, and that was it. You, you had a couple of channels, and then I think we got BBC Two, and that was it. Now they have hundreds of channels, and you don't even know what to watch. And um, so we had two. And, um, and so I, I love the old movies. I love the old musicals. You know, now, some of you are going to go, oh, no. Like Bing Crosby and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Like, this was the music. Yeah, this was the music. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a great, I love those movies. Like, like love story. Oh, let's not go there. And, um, and, um, and there, there's a story of Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. died in May um, 1990. And he died of throat cancer. And, and months before he died, they actually removed his voice box so he couldn't actually talk. And, and um, he was a legend in the tap dancing, singing thing. And his, his uh, prodigy was a guy called Gregory Hines. And Gregory Hines was, learned everything he needed to know from Sammy Davis Jr. And um, they tell the story that when, when Sammy was in the hospital dying, literally days before he died, Gregory Hines went in to visit him. And the nurses had him in a chair with a blanket over him that drips up on him. And, and Sammy Davis is sitting in his chair with his eyes closed. And, and, uh, and he opens his eyes. He spies Gregory Hines at the end of the bed. And he, and he begins to weep. And, and tears are flooding down his face. And so he, he tries to pull himself up out of the chair. And the nurse, of course, comes and says, no, 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 you, you can't get out of the chair. And he pushes the nurse aside and he, 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 he works his way out of the chair. He pulls the drips from his arms like this here. He holds the end of the bed and he walks over and he faces Gregory Hines, not able to talk. And he does this little maneuver, little tap dance. They call it Sammy Davis Jr.'s final tap dance. And he tips his toes on the, on the hospital floor like this here. And then 
Let's go of the bed. And shakily, he goes to Gregory Hines like this. What's he doing? He's saying, I give you responsibility. I'm passing on my legacy. I'm giving you responsibility. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood just before he's about to ascend. And he looked down at his body that was bruised and broken. He saw his nail-scarred hands. I'm sure he could visage the, 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 the wound in his side. And he looked at these bunch of guys and he said, I give you responsibility. Pass it on. Pass it on. How dare we think this is ours to keep? How dare we think we've got all the anointing and somebody else shouldn't have it? How dare we think? Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, and he said, this is the reason some are sick amongst you and some already are dead because you've stopped discerning the Lord's body. You think you're better. You think you can come to the table and they can't. You think you're okay. Why are they eating at the table? Jesus said, I give you responsibility. And the responsibility is to pass it on. Pass it on. Pass it on. Pass it on. So what I'd love us to do, our time's gone. I just, I'd love us to do a song if we could. We're going to be a few minutes behind, but we can pick it up all right. But I'd love us to do a song, and I'd love, I'd love when we do that. If you're in this room today and you're an older leader, and, and maybe you feel that you've been holding on to some stuff that you just need to release, I, I, I would love to pray with you. Do you know it's not easy getting older? Anybody who's older in here will know this. Because all the younger people think it gets easy when you get older. They're, all the young people in here think it's all right for the old guys. It gets easier. It doesn't get easier. Sure, guys, back me up here. Does it get easier? It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. All right? Like if my wife fell in love with my golden locks, I'm in trouble. She fell in love with my slim figure. Well... Here you go. You know, what, what we've got to do is we've got to understand generations come and go, but we need to work together. We need to purr. We need to purr, and we need to stay purred. We need to build this kingdom together. We need to give each other responsibility. Younger people, you need to give us responsibility to get older gracefully. Older people, you need to give responsibility to the younger generation. Give them responsibility. Because if you don't give it to them, they'll go somewhere else to get it. They will get it. They will get it. And if you don't give it to them, they'll go wherever they can get it. And rightfully so. And so there's something about this purring together. And so I'd love, I just have a sense that there's some relationship healing between generation needs done. 
I just sense today even that maybe for some people in the room, you've held back from responsibility and you think it's their job and it's her job and it's his job and you've held back from, and God today is saying, I give you responsibility. It's not just their job. It's not just his job. It's not just her job. It's your job. Time to grow up. This kingdom needs built, and it needs built strong, and it needs strong men and women that honor God, that, that, that don't work in ego, that don't work in, in the flesh, but actually follow God in every principle of their lives. So, Father, I pray right now as we worship that you would start to tenderize our hearts. As we sing this song, you might want to slip up to the front. Our, our, our prayer ministry guys are here. We are going to be about, and if you'd love us to pray for you, even in the responsibility realm, you're just saying, you know what, today I do need to take responsibility. I do need to move in to what God has called me. I do need to heal that relationship. I do need to give away a responsibility. I do need to take some responsibility. This is your moment. This is your time. So if you want to just slip up as we worship, let's stand and let's sing. We'll do this quickly and then we'll, we'll grab that long-awaited for a coffee. Um, so let's do that. Let's, let's move. Let's, let's come and allow ourselves to be ministered to by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thanks to me.